Morning. Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue. We left off the first chapter, the tractate Kiddushin, page thirty-nine A, in honor of Shlema Yisrael David Nachman Ben Yechavit Shifra and Perel Bas Miriam, and um, everyone who needs a Shlema. So we are thirty-nine A on the Amale. Six lines from the top. So regarding Orla, fruits of Orla outside the land of Israel. So Levi said to Shmuel, Aryech. That was a nickname for Shmuel. Aryech. The king. Like he was the king. Um... Aryech also has the word Ari in it, like the lion. Lion is the king king of the animals. So Shmuel was the master, master halachic authority when it came to financial halachas. So he was like he was like a king. His justice, his word. As he told him, Sapically In other words, there was a there was a fruits. But it was a, a question, questionable whether these fruits were Arla or not. So he says, give it to me and I'll eat it. In other words, in other words, uh, harvest it for me. Because it's outside the land of Israel. Don't do it in front of me. Don't tell me where, where, where you got it from. So even if it's Arla, it doesn't matter. By me, it's a doubt. And therefore, I can eat from it. As long as I don't know for certain. The only, the only, only way I'm not allowed to eat from it is if I, if I know for certain. As long as I don't know for certain, I don't see you. I don't see you um, plucking fruits that are Arla. It's fine. It's allowed. For me, it's allowed. Because according to the version, that you're not allowed. As long as you don't see it. As long as it's not in front of you. Each one would, t- would, would give such fruits to the other. No, the other one wasn't looking, they harvest it, not in front of him. So when they place the fruits in front of him, he doesn't know, I don't know, are these fruits the Arla fruits and not the Arla fruits? Each one was allowed to eat. Allowed to eat it. Amri Kharifi, the Pumpadisa, the sharp ones of Pumpadisa said, in Arla Arla does not apply outside the land of Israel. Not even rabbinically. There's no Arla. There's no such thing as Arla. Three, the first three years, the first three years, three, first three years, the fruits of the first three years, not it doesn't apply outside the land of Israel. send over what they said, what the sharp ones of Pumpadisa said to Rabbi Yechlan to hear what his opinion is. Rabbi Yechlan responded to Rabbi Huda, same sveika. When it's in doubt whether these fruits are or not, even though it's allowed, keep it quiet. Don't publicize it. Because people are going to come to treat all, all fruits. Yeah, they'll never keep Arla. They'll say even fruits that are definite, they'll, they'll treat it lightly. If it's definitely Arla, you have to get rid of it. You're not allowed to eat it. You can benefit from it. You have to get rid of it. Even though technically I could keep it to give it to my friend. Didn't we just learn that the rabbis exchange with each other? As long as my friend doesn't know, he's allowed to eat it. So why do I have to throw it out? Like we just learned. 
But nevertheless, since they were lenient, they treated the whole thing lightly. If you're going to allow them to keep it, they're going to come to treat the whole thing lightly. So he says, get rid of it. And those, and announce, publicize, that the fruits of those who are lenient, who said there's no Arla and Chutzla Arla, it's not biblically, not rabbinically, Shatunin Geniza, you have to hide it. You're not allowed to benefit from them, from it. Destroy it. You can't benefit from it. Whoever says there's no arla, no. I'm sorry. I pay the same. Those who are lenient about arla in general, you should announce. You have to hide it. You can't benefit from them. And those who say these rabbis who said there's no arla at all in it's not biblically, not rabbinically. You shouldn't have any children, any grandchildren. Mashlich chevel begedel bekal Hashem. It's a pasuk in Micha that is, there is referring to those who steal fields and, and, and steal from others, and then the prophet curses them that there shouldn't be anyone from their children who should have a portion in the land of Israel when they go back to when they return to the land of Israel. Yes. Whoever says that there's no Arla in Chutzlarit, they're living in Chutzlarit, in Babylonia, shouldn't have, they shouldn't have any children or grandchildren, we'll have a portion of the land of Israel when we are returned to the land of Israel. That was a curse. Begmar Vi'inu, and the, the sharp ones of Pumpaditsa Kemansavrua, who do they hold like? We learned in the Mishnah clearly, Chutzman Arla. And every, everyone agrees, Chutzman Arla, that Arla does apply, even though it's agricultural, it does apply outside the land of Israel. They follow the opinion like we learned in the Brais. So it's, it's based on the opinions of, of, of giants. How could you say that Abelazar Abelazar Agadol holds there's no Arla Chutzlarus? That's none. We learn now Mishnah Abelazar Eimer Afachadosh. Abelazar says not only Arla and Kloyim Kloyakerem are apply outside the land of Israel. He adds, and we we decided that he adds to be strict. Also Chadosh, even Chadosh after it. So what do you so what do you mean Abelazar Agadol disagrees with with Arla? It says clearly that Mishnah Abelazar holds that Arla. Arla does apply outside the land of Israel and, and even Chadash. Sigmar says, take out the word af. But they would learn, they'll learn the Mishnah, he does says Chadash. Only Chadash outside the land of Israel. Because it says, wherever Jews are settled, anywhere in the world, wherever there's a Jewish settlement. But Arla and Kalayim only apply the land of Israel, according to Abelazar, according to this Brais, according to the version of our Mishnah. Nevertheless, Rabbi Yechanan cursed them because this was not the consensus and this was not the, the uh, opinion of the overwhelming majority of the rabbis. How do we know that Orla as prohibited outside the land of Israel doesn't say anywhere in the Torah? It's not even hinted at anywhere in the Torah. It's Moshe heard this from Hashem at Sinai. When he went up to receive the Torah, how can you say that? If you have a fruit that's in front of you and you're not sure, it's in doubt. Is this from the first three years or not? But if it's inside the land of Israel, it's prohibited. You have to be strict. It's allowed. Syria. 
Bechutzlaretz, anywhere outside the land of Israel, with the exception of Surya, Yedr, the lake, even allowed to go and harvest it in this. But if you're going to say it's Allah, why are you strict? It has a biblical status. Any biblical status, any doubt when something is biblical, you have to be strict. So it's like Arla in the land of Israel, you're strict. If Arla outside the land of Israel, Allah, it's not a rabbinic thing. Okay, whenever in doubt, and it's rabbinic, you can be lenient. But this is not rabbinic. So why aren't we strict? So Ravasi was stunned into silence. He couldn't answer. It was a good question. It was a good question. He was he was stumped. He was stumped. Words afterwards, Amalei. Then Rabasi answered Abzeda, "Ema kachnema." Say that this is the Allah Chalamayshem Esinai. Sveika muter vado also. That was the Allah Chalamayshem Esinai. That itself is also the Allah Chalamayshem Esinai. Just like Allah Chalamayshem Esinai Torah. That if it's a definite Allah, it's prohibited. The same Allah Chalamayshem Esinai said that if it's in doubt, it's permitted. We don't have the power. It's not that we decided that, oh, it's a doubt, and it's only rabbinic, therefore we can be leading. No. It has the status of a biblical. It's Allah HaMashiach heard this from Hashem at Sinai when he received the Torah, with all the rest of the Torah, even though it was never written down. But the doubt itself was the Allah HaMashiach that if it's in doubt, it's permitted. So he was, first he was stunned into silence, because it was a powerful question. He couldn't answer, because he knew for certain that... He knew for certain that um, our law is biblical, in other words, and yet how do you reconcile with the idea that when in doubt, you can be lenient? And then the answer came to him. If you mix, if you mix the grapeseed, with other seeds, and you plant them together, you you get lashes. It's a biblical prohibition. Right. We learn clearly in the Mishnah. We learn clearly in the Mishnah that it's only it's only it's only rabbinic. How could he get lashes? It was like cash. It's not a contradiction. Right. Kan Kan Two separate things. If you mix a vineyard, that's only that's only rabbinic. Here, when we say that you get lashes, it's talking about Elon. You graft. You graft a tree. That's biblical. That's biblical. It's biblical everywhere. Yeah. Kiddush Shmuel, like Shmuel. Amr Shmuel Shmuel says. When the Torah says, when the Torah says you're not allowed to mix animals, you can't breed animals together to the different species. Torah starts out. starts out. Be careful of the chukim. In other words, first, usually the Torah says, "Watch the chukim." Here the Torah switches it around. First he starts out with the chukim, and then he says, the chukim you should watch. Why would the Torah change it around? Every, everything in the Torah is precise. The teachers, chukim shecha kaktil chakvar. The chukim, the statues that I already gave you, and I already warned you. The times of Noyach, in the past, in the place of Noyach, which is, the, they are not allowed to breed two different species, they are not allowed to mix 
in your field you can't uh, mix and plant two species together so we learn the planting of two different seeds from the from the breeding of two different animals different species we learn one from the other just like the title means you're not allowed to breed Two, two different species together. So when the Tater says that you're not allowed to mix the seeds, it's also meaning two different two different seeds, two different species. Or, which is like grafting. Just like the prohibition on two animals, on breeding two animals. No, you mean This applies everywhere, right? It's not agricultural connected. It's agricultural connected. Is, it applies universally. It's also the prohibition of breeding, to, of, 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 of planting two seeds together. No, you can inside the land of outside outside land of Israel. Hello, Aksif Sotra. Are you going to ask? It says Sotra, your field. Clearly, your field meaning the land of Israel. That Sotra is coming to teach He's only coming to exclude. Planting of seeds together with the gra- grape seeds in a vineyard. In other words, the Torah uses the lash and the expression. Sadcha only applies to Kalayim. You're planting the grape seed together with other seeds, but not the grafting of a tree. In other words, the sotcha only applies to the, to the planting two seeds together. But the grafting of a tree, it's not a question of planting seeds. I'm not planting any seeds. I'm grafting a tree. I'm taking a branch from one tree and I'm grafting it to the other tree. That prohibition is universal. That prohibition is not limited to sotcha, to your field. The, the exclusion of sotcha, your field, meaning the land of Israel, to the exclusion of anywhere else, that only applies to sizra. When it comes to planting in the ground. But the grafting a tree, that prohibition that we learn from the animal, the breeding of animals, it applies anywhere, anytime, anywhere. They were traveling outside the land of Israel. They saw a person taking two seeds, two species, and planting it together. Let's, uh, let's excommunicate him. He's violating the prohibitions of the rabbi. The rabbis say that you're not allowed to mix two seeds together, even outside the land of Israel. And he's violating, willfully violating this rabbinic prohibition. Let's, let's, let's join forces and excommunicate him. So I'm going to lay it No, it's not clear. It's not clear. It's not clear. Not clear. Because mixing mixing seeds together biblically is only prohibited in the land of Israel, and the rabbis never never prohibited outside the land. But I'll explain soon why they didn't prohibit outside the land of Israel. I guess they only prohibited outside the land of Israel only a vineyard, only grape seeds and regular seed, not taking two seeds. Besu, another time, when Abchanavan were traveling on the way outside the land of Israel, they saw that he was planting, he was sowing wheat and barley seeds amongst the grapevines. Big gufni amongst the geffen, amongst the grapevines. Let's 
joined forces with me, let's excommunicate him. It's not, it's not illuminated. These laws are not illuminated. And we're not so clear in them. Why not? Because don't we hold like Rabbi Yeshi who says that the prohibition of planting a seed, a grape seed, is only It's not enough to mix a seed with a grape seed. You have to, you have to be a double mixture. You have to, all at once, you're mixing two different seeds and together with the grape grapevine. Three seeds, right. You're violating th- two prohibitions together. And also, you, you're planting it together, the grape seed. But if the vineyard is already here and you're just planting another seed next to the grapevines, that's not biblically prohibited. So since even in the land of Israel you're not obligated biblically, so outside the land of Israel it's also not prohibited. The only thing the rabbis prohibited to do outside the land of Israel is whatever you're not allowed to do biblically. So since Rabbi Yeshia says that the prohibition of mixing, mixing the grape the, the, with, in, the, in the vineyard is only when you're planting, it's the act of planting, when you plant the grape seed together with another, right, when you sow, together with another two seeds. Three yeah. seeds, and, those two and seeds only then, also separate, also right, right, exactly. Right. Only so that similar thing, if you do outside the land of Israel, the rabbi is prohibited. But what this fellow is doing, he's taking, he's taking in the vineyard. The vineyard is already is already growing. The vines are already growing, and he's planting, uh, he's planting a, uh, a wheat and barley. That's even in Israel, that's not biblically prohibited. So shortly outside the land of Israel, even the rabbis did not make a decree. That's why he didn't say anything. We're not going to excommunicate this fellow. Rabbi Yasef would mix different seeds and would plant them together outside the land of Israel. They were Rabbi and Rabbi Yasef lived outside the land of Israel. We learned clearly in the Mishnah, Kloyim is prohibited. How could you go ahead and plant these seeds together? It's not a contradiction between the Mishnah and my actions. Khan over here the mission is talking about Bakloya Kedem, which is rabbinically prohibited. Only in the vineyard, the Khan over here, or grape seeds, the Khan over here, Bakloyzaroyim, but Bakloyzaroyim, taking two seeds and mining together is even initially permitted outside the land of Israel. There's no rabbinic prohibition. And he explains the difference. Why? Kloya Kedem de Ba'orits. In the land of Israel. Asurim Bano, biblically prohibited. Hey, you're not allowed to even benefit from it, you have to burn it. So the rabbis were very strict since it's so strict in the land of Israel so they, they prohibited it even outside the land of Israel but but the mixture of seeds the yes it's prohibited in the land of Israel but it's not even if, if you go ahead and plant it I'm allowed to eat from it I'm not allowed to plant it the act of planting of sowing that's prohibited but I'm not allowed to benefit from the fruits it's outside the land of Israel the rabbis are not either decree and it's per, it permitted Initially permitted. How did afterwards But then Rabbi Yasef took it back. Why did Rabbi Zod again to the way planted so the garden? Yeah, for Yeshiva to eat, they should have vegetables to make their salads, have a pota- tomatoes, they have whatever they need. Mishadi, shadi, rows and rows. 
every row was a different a different type a cucumber a tomato whatever they needed yeah yeah my time why did Rabbi Yosef, why didn't he just mix them all together in one row why did he make separate rows Lav, isn't it not mishum he was worried of mixing it together you're not allowed to mix so you see the outside land of Israel rabbinically not allowed to mix even if it's not a vineyard pushes away, pushes off the, the, the proof of, of Rabbi Yehissa. If Rav would, would, would let us know that he really, he sold them, if he would sow them all in one row, but he would make space between them so they shouldn't draw nourishment from the together. For example, if he, print, if, if he sold them it was a, a, a row, but on each corner, he sowed a different type. Bach is bemsa, one in the center, like a box. So you put one in this corner, one in this corner, one in this corner, and one in the center. So they're all distant from each other, equidistant from each other, so they're not, they're not pulling the same nourishment. So then, then he would let us know, he's making a point of separating the two. They're not allowed to mix the two, so you have to keep them separate. Elach over here, where he made separate rows, each one had its own row. You know what the reason is? Rashum Noy has nothing to do because of Allah. He did it out of beauty. It looks nice. Aesthetics. Aesthetics, exactly. Beans over here. Exactly. Instead of all mixed together. Instead of all mixed together. Instead of a the salad should be in your bowl, but not a salad on the ground. A mixed salad. He nami. Or another reason for making separate rows. Mishum mishum tircha the shamish. The shamish. Made it easier for the. The shamish has to bring. Bring. So he shouldn't have to go looking. He has to go look here. It's very clear. I know where the tomatoes are. I know where the cucumbers are. I know where everything is. Exactly. So it's no proof. So maybe Rabbi Yosef is correct that there's no prohibition. Rabbinically, there's no prohibition. The only prohibition is only kedem. That's the halach. Who follows Rabbi Yisrael? Biblically, is only prohibited. You only get lashes if you mix two seeds and together with the, the grape seed and you plant it in the ground. Then you get lashes. Biblically, it's only canvas and loof. Only the type of that they all grow together. They 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 they, they ripen together with the with, with the vine. Other seeds is only. Prohibited rabbinically, yeah, it's like, uh, but outside the land of Israel, this is also prohibited. Only this. is you allowed to you allowed to plant seeds together outside the land? Right, right. Grafting is prohibited. It's the only thing that's prohibited. Yeah, yeah. Even outside the land of Israel, that's prohibited. And rabbinically, only planting three seeds together, two seeds, a mixture, and a grapevine. And planting it in the ground—that's prohibited. Uh, that's a grape seed. That's prohibited, rabbinical. Next mishnah: Whoever does one mitzvah. What do you mean one mitzvah? The mother will explain one mitzvah. Hashem will repay him with goodness. In this world, in this world, he's going to have a long life. In this world, in this world, he inherits the world, which is uh, the world to come. In this world, and he will also inherit the world to come. 
the land of the living. Whoever does not do one mitzvah, even Hashem won't won't do him good. He won't have a long life. He won't he won't have a share in the world to come. It's interesting. He says Arichas Yamim. Why do you say Arichas Yamim? Long days. What do you mean long days? A day only has twenty four hours. You can't lengthen the day. You can't even make a day longer. He doesn't say Arichas Shanim. Arichas Yamim means that the day you can't add any more time. But the day is long. It's filled. It's a meaningful day. It's filled with content. It's filled with pleasure, with wholesomeness. That's of the quality of the day. It should be Arichas Yamim, a long day, a fulfilling day. You walk away at the end of the day, you feel accomplished. It was a beautiful day, it was a good day, a whole day. Versus empty days, short days, the days are empty and, you know, you're just passing through time. So it says, by Abraham, Abraham Zakim, Baba Yamim. He came with all of his days, he entered into his days. Every day, he lived every day to its fullest. Every day was an adventure. Every day he woke up with excitement. He jumped out of bed and it was a full day and a meaningful day and the best day, the, his best day yet. If he asked Avram, what was your best day? He said, today. This is now. Today is my best day and he was fully into it. In the Almighty, we say Hashem Melech. Hashem is king today. And then we say Malach, he was king, Yimlech. Today is the day. It starts with today. When today is a day, then the yesterday is a yesterday and tomorrow is a tomorrow. But it says, what I mean, I'll ask you, we learned the Baraiz, we learned, no, we learned the mission. We learned in Peya, we say it every morning, the beginning of Peya, the first mission, these are the mitzvahs, we get the dividends, the dividends, you, the reward of the dividends you get in this world, but the principle you get in the world to come. Which are they? Elohim. These are the mitzvahs that he's referring to. Honoring your parents. Acts of kindness. And taking in gifts. Bringing peace between husband and wife, between one, one fellow and his other, his friend. Talmud studying is the equivalent of all the other mitzvahs. So we see that only these mitzvahs, only these mitzvahs that he lists, do you eat in this world? Do you get benefit in this world? And the principle is remains in the world to come. How could you say every mitzvah? Mitzvah achas, meaning any mitzvah that you do. You do one single mitzvah, you already have a reward in this world. Mom explains because Torah leads you to do all the others. If you don't learn, if you're ignorant, if you're an ignoramus without learning, how in the world could you fulfill all six hundred and thirty mitzvahs? Exactly. Exactly. I'm um, Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda says. Rabbi Huda answers. This is what the Mishnah means. If you do one extra mitzvah beyond, let's say your mitzvahs are equal and your sins are equal on an equal scale, <laughs> by doing one extra mitzvah, tipping the scale, then he has. Then the Hashem does good for him in this world. It's as if he fulfilled. The whole entire way Hashem judges a person, he follows the majority. So once you tip the scale, you do one extra mitzvah, and that tips the scale. So Hashem looks at you like a tzaddikomer. You're 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 written in the book of life. That's how Hashem judges us in the Shoshana. and in Mikiva, and the same as in the afterlife. Hashem judges, weighs all our actions, puts it on the scale. Of course, only Hashem knows how to evaluate. You know, 
And, and by tipping the scale, one extra mitzvah, you can tip the scale, and then you, you're written in the book of life, you're like in the book of tzaddikim. So the question is, what happens if you don't tip the scale? What if you remain 50-50? Is that what the Mishnah means, the second half of the Mishnah? That if you don't do that one mitzvah and you don't tip the scale, then you don't, you don't have it good in this world and you lose the share in the world to come? So Taisva says, no, that, that's not the meaning. No, they learn that if it's 50-50, then you won't have it good in this world. But you will, in the world to come, in the world to come, Hashem will, you'll have a share in the world to come. You'll get your punishment. But if you have less, if you have one mitzvah less than 50, 49.9, and all you needed is one mitzvah to even the balance, and you didn't even the balance, you left 50.01 majority sins, then you're going to lose this world and you're going to lose the next world. You won't have this world and you won't have the world to come. So what do you, from, from this you can derive that these mitzvahs that the Mishnah spells out in Peah that you do enjoy the fruits in this world, the dividends. Are you saying even if you only have just this mitzvah, none of the other mitzvahs? Here you're telling me that any mitzvah, if you're 50-50 and you do one extra mitzvah, you tip the scale, then you're totally good. When the Mishnah says these mitzvahs, those those few mitzvahs, and then you're good in this world, you have a dividends in this world, and you have the principle in the world to come, it's referring to you have no mitzvahs. The only mitzvah you did is honor your parents. You did no other mitzvah. Are you telling me that? How could you say that? Ninety-nine sin percent sin. I did one single mitzvah. I honored my parents, and that's it. For that alone, you're going to have dividends in this world, and you should get a share in the world to come. But the answer makes no sense. I'm not My answer. Loima Mishnah Pei is coming to teach me that if it was 50-50 and one of the 50 mitzvahs included these mitzvahs like honoring your parents machraz, this itself tips the scale that you should you, it's as if you had as if you did that extra mitzvah even though you didn't do that extra mitzvah but the fact that part of this 50 is one of these mitzvahs that he lists so therefore therefore you tip the scale so that, that alone you for that alone you already have good in this world and the world to come are you telling me that just by doing one extra mitzvah over over the balance that tips the scale and you already get all this reward in this world and the next world I mean, I'll ask you we learned a person who has more merits than sin, then he's punished in this world. And it's as if he burned the entire Torah and he didn't even leave, leave over one letter. His favor, in order to cleanse him in this world, in order he should come clean in the world so to come. He get his reward. He get his reward. So you would think, the way he's punished in this world, you would think as if he's an apostate to burn the Torah, like Hashem is laying out his wrath in him. But it's really for his, for, for, for his benefit. But a person who has more sin than merit, on the contrary, Hashem showers him with, uh, with material abundance in this world. As if, as if he followed every letter of the law in the Torah. Look how Hashem is showering him with grace. 
and with the, with the blessings, That's the so other weird. Jew kept the kept mitzvahs, who kept majority of mitzvahs. Hashem is punishing him as if he didn't keep a single letter in the Torah. Look how Hashem, everything is going wrong. But on the contrary, it's his benefit. In order he should come clean in the next world, he should enjoy and bask in Hashem's light, his eternal reward. Versus the other person who's going to go to Gehenim. He's going to go to to, to a, a, the eternal barbecue. So therefore, better better he should get whatever good he did. Hashem gives him a reward in this world, as if as if he was the biggest tzaddik. He kept every letter of the Torah. This directly contradicts your explanation of our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says if you do fifty percent, then you have one mitzvah. You can have it good in this world and the world to come. Here the Brayse says the exact opposite. Then you won't have it good in the world to make up for all your sins, to cleanse you of all your sins. The mother answers, I'm Rabbi, Rabbi answers, Masnis, and now Mishnah is talking about Yom Tap. Such a day of gold. He's prepared for them. He means, what he means, that we do him good in this world, meaning that we're preparing him. We're preparing him a Yom The world to come is a Yom So we punish him in this world to cleanse him. It's a cleansing. And therefore preparing him for the ultimate Yom let so, so he should be able his, his, in the world to come he should be able to enjoy the Ilam Haba like a complete tzaddik like a complete tzaddik and when the Mishnah says that someone who didn't do a mitzvah meaning bish, meaning it's not it's not no that is by showering him with all these material things right because when a person don't when a person has sardis right when a person has sardis sardis breaks your heart it breaks your ego it keeps you genuine it keeps you authentic it keeps you humble it keeps you conscious connected a person who's so arrogant and, and full of themselves they become more arrogant it just fuels the arrogance. They become completely disconnected, like un, like unconscious. They become like in a coma, spiritually in a coma, like a stone. They're completely not, not connected to anything spiritual, to anything godly. Who completely blocks their way in the world to come. So it's not. So that's what he means. It's bad for him. It's not good for him. A person who completely lives like a coarse and crass and so full of themselves and so arrogant and so egotistical, becomes completely blocked, brain dead spiritually dead so this is not a good thing so all these blessings in this world it's not a blessing it's a curse Rava gives a different answer Rava really our Mishnah means literally when if you do one mitzvah you're going to be good in this world it means physically materially good it doesn't mean we're going to punish him and that's good and when it says you don't do a mitzvah you're going to have it bad it means literally materially not oh we're going to bless him and that's a curse no no but I, how do you explain the Braise? Oh, money. The Braise is according to the opinion of Yaakov. That's follows the opinion of Yaakov. Like Rabbi Yaakov holds, there's no reward for a mitzvah in this world. The Tanya learned the Braise. Rabbi Yaakov, mitzvah, mitzvah, Whatever the Tayyid gives says, he's going to be rewarded for doing a mitzvah. What it means is, not in, in this present state, the world in this present state. It means the world in the future, after Tchiyas HaMesim, after the resurrection. This world is too narrow to contain the infinite reward that a person gets for a mitzvah. It says clearly, it says in the Torah, in the commandments, honor your parents, you should live a long life, and, and it'll be good for you in this world. And also by Shaluach HaKan, sending away the mother, the mother bird. 
So it says, take, send away the mother and take, the, take, the, take her offspring. It says, be good for you and you'll live a long life. So if it means, if it means literally that you're going to live, you're gonna, it's going to be good and you're going to live a long life in, physically in this world, this has actually happened once. If his father tells him, go climb to the attic, and bring me some pigeons. And the mother is there. For all the bit, and he went up for and he fulfilled two mitzvahs simultaneously. Both of these mitzvahs, he was honoring his father, right, obeying his father, bringing him the pigeons to for, for dinner, to slash and eat for dinner. And while he was at it, he fulfilled the mitzvah of Shiloh Hakan. He sent away the mother, and he took the children. But because on his way down, Nafal he fell from the ladder, Mason he died. What happened? Hashem promised. These two mitzvahs, Hashem says, you're going to live long and it's going to be good for you in this world. Instead, it turned down into a tragedy. <laughs> he, he didn't come back for dinner. Instead of eating, it was a tragedy. It was a levayah. <laughs> what happened to Hashem's promise? Where is the goodness that Hashem said is going to be good or long life? Or rather, you have to say, with the pasuk means, a world which is all good, and the world to come, and there will no longer be any pain and suffering or illness or death or, or evil. It'll be when people live forever, there will no longer be any death. So according to Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov says there's no reward in this world, physical, it's only in the world to come. So that, that's what the Braisa means, that on the contrary. That's why people, when people suffer, it's in order to purify you. But our Mishnah does, holds like the rabbis that disagree with Rabbi Yaakov, that there is reward in, the, in this world. So the dividends you get in this world and, and, and the world to come is the principle. But you can be good in both worlds, good in this world and, and next world. And if you don't have the mitzvah, less than 50-50, then it's not, you don't have life in this world, you have no life in this world, you're miserable. You're constantly on the, at the therapist. Your life is misery, one big hell, and you don't you don't have any any in the world to come. You don't have a spiritual life. You don't have a physical life. You you run around like a chicken without a head. Versus if you do one extra mitzvah, if majority mitzvahs, you have a pleasant life in this world. Life is wonderful. Life is beautiful. Life is good. What could be wrong? Every Shabbos you're sitting around the table with your family, enjoying. It doesn't get better than that. It's not only good in the in the world to come. Life, you follow the Torah in this world, you have a good life and a pleasant life and a beautiful life. Abiyaki says, No, this world is too small to contain uh, a beautiful story with the Rebbe. He was once given a ride by this Jewish billionaire who was a heretic. And he says, Rebbe, I don't understand. It says, You say every day, and it says in the Torah, if you don't follow the mitzvah, you will be cursed. Look, look at me. I don't follow the mitzvah. I'm not a. And uh, have a beautiful life. Have everything one can ask for. I'm a billionaire and I'm rich and successful and famous. And my life is wonderful. So the Rebbe answered him. I see from your question that at least one time in your life you read the Shema. So he says all the billions in the world are not enough reward to pay you, to give you just for that one mitzvah that you fulfill. So this world is too small to contain. It's infinite. You do a mitzvah, it's infinite. And, and, and it can't translate into anything physical in this world. Only when Mashiach will come after the resurrection, then this world will be able to contain infinite, re, infinite reward. Okay. They challenged his position. 
maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe something like this will never happen. Yeah. If you honor your parents, the mother says, Rabbi Yaakov Yaakov saw this was an actual incident. It's not yeah, making it up. It's not saying theoretically. This has actually happened. Maybe he was thinking a sin. What's the one sin? So the mother answers, well, thinking a sin doesn't count. When a Jew thinks something negative, or thinks to sin, Hashem does not count it as, as, as if you've done it. So what does it help you? You 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 you, you thought of a sin. When a Jew thinks to do something good, Hashem counts as if you've already done it. If you think a negative thought, it doesn't count. And by the way, with this, the told us Yaakov Yosef answers an unbelievable question. It says that you're not allowed to interrupt the Shemineser for anything, even to say Amen Yeshmei Rabba. You're standing in front of Hashem. But what do you do if you're davening and the minion is saying Amen Yeshmei Rabba and Agdisha Kedusha? says you should be silent and just in your mind just follow say think in your mind the Gedusha think in your mind so the question is it makes no sense make up your mind if thinking is considered an interruption yeah. how, how am I allowed to stop middle of lesson and think the words think if it's not an interruption so what's the point I mean if it's not an interruption it's not considered like speaking and therefore it's not an interruption so why even bother so that's what he says. Because thoughts could be considered like speech, because Hashem considers a thought, a good thought, Hashem counts as if it's done. So to be considered a mitzvah, to be considered, like I said, Hashem counts it as if you've said it. To be considered like a sin, that I interrupted in the middle of Hashem, therefore, it's not considered an interruption. Anyway, a brilliant halachic answer. Anyway, the mother answers with Dilma, perhaps, maybe, maybe the thought was Avedazara. This is one Avera in one split second. The moment you think Avedazara, your whole Yiddishkeit, at that moment, all the mitzvahs that you're doing is zero. Avedazara, you completely disconnected yourself from Hashem. That's all it takes. Thinking Avedazara. That's even more than bowing down. Bowing down is just the action. It's the thought. Thinking of Avedazada. Thinking that God is not one. And thinking of Avedazada. Then you become an over the Avedazada. You completely disconnect yourself. The same thing as arrogance. Ego. Ego, the, the Talmud says in Saita, the fifth page, is the equivalent of Avedazada. So a person could be full of Torah. His whole life, all day and every day, all he does is learn Torah. And all the day and every day, all he does is mitzvahs. But if he thinks of ego of himself and is self-absorbed and is arrogant, all of his mitzvahs, he's completely destroyed all of the mitzvahs that he's done, he's completely ruined and tainted and created a stench of all the mitzvahs that he's done and all the tainted that he's done just creates a stench. Hashem says, I can't even be in his presence. Sigmar says... In other words, so, so, so what's your question? What's Abiyakov's proof? The question is, what's Abiyakov's proof? Maybe he had a thought of Avedazada and therefore he lost everything. He lost the merit of honoring his parents. He lost the merit of, of sending away the mother. The mother answers, Abiyakov is also saying, If you're going to say there is reward for mitzvah in this world, the mitzvah should have protected him. Especially when he was in the middle of doing the mitzvah. 
he was in the process of doing the mitzvah. He was climbing the ladder. He was, he was getting the, the bring, bringing the the pigeons to his father. He was in the middle of doing the mitzvah. So why didn't the mitzvah protect him to make sure that he shouldn't even come to to have a thought of a vedazara which would taint and ruin all of his mitzvahs? So that's the proof. That's the proof. Not that he fell. The proof. Yes, for sure. The reason why he fell was because he had a vedazara. He had a thought of a vedazara. But, but that, in it, that in itself is the proof. Why didn't the mitzvah protect him that he shouldn't come to that? But the question is, when a person is engaged with the mitzvah, he's not harmed. Right, he was on the way of doing the mitzvah to bring, to bring, on the way back, he was bringing, he was bringing the pigeons to his father. That was the mitzvah. His father asked him to bring him the pigeons for dinner. So why wasn't he protected? So forget about the fact that mitzvahs, even if there's no reward, even according to Rabbi Yaakov, who says there's no reward in this world. Forget about the reward. But while you're engaged in a mitzvah, shluchi mitzvah are not damaged. I so said the custom, you, you give a dollar to the person who's traveling, you, give him, you should put him in tzedakah wherever he goes. So he's a shliach mitzvah, and that would protect him from harm. So the mother answers, Hasam over there, when he's going to do the mitzvah, shiny. When he was going to do the mitzvah, it protects him. But after he already did the mitzvah, it doesn't protect him. So here, once, once he, he uh, already sent away the mother, and once he already grabbed hold of the pigeons he had in his hand, he already did the mitzvah. it says... That what happens is he took, he grabbed hold of the pigeons and he threw it down, threw it to his father. So now he was just coming down. He already he wasn't doing the mitzvah anymore. He's finished. He already fulfilled the mitzvah. He fulfilled his father's wish. He wasn't holding the pigeon anymore. And he came down and, and he died. So he wasn't a shuliach mitzvah at the time. And from this, Rabbi Echnum proves that uh, there's no reward of a mitzvah in this world. Okay. Not only are they protected when they're going about and doing the mitzvah, even when they're done with the mitzvah and they return home, Hashem protects them till they get back to their place. So therefore, how could Hashem not protect them? How could the mitzvah not protect them? It was a was a rickety ladder. It should have been fixed a long time ago. The kviya is like. That the, it's, it's expected that it will do damage. It's a miracle if it doesn't do damage. However, wherever the damage is like set and expected, you can't rely on miracles. See if it says, Hashem told Shmuel, go to Beis Lechem to anoint a king, David as king, even though Shaul was still king. Shmuel asked Hashem, how can I go? Shmuel is going to hear, he's going to kill me. It's a, it's, it's a rebellion against his kingdom. So the question is, why, why, why was he worried? He was a shliach mitzvah. He was a, a messenger from Hashem to do a mitzvah. And shluchim mitzvah are not, not hurt. But that's only if there's no, you're not expecting any damage. But if it's a dangerous situation, you don't have to enter into a dangerous situation. It was dangerous. The king will get a whiff that he wants to, and he's anointing a king, his rival. David, yeah. David, and that's the end of his, of his legacy. He would kill him. So you can't rely on miracles. So therefore the ladder was rickety and therefore he couldn't, he couldn't, he shouldn't, he can't rely on miracles. 
If Acher, Elisha, would expound this Pasuk, like Rabbi Yaakov, who is his grandson, his daughter's son, and he said the Pasuk means not in this world, in this life, it means in the future, Leichate wouldn't have sinned. What did Acher see that caused him to turn away, caused him to become a heretic? He could have rather say, he saw the exact same incident that his grandson saw. That, that the father asked the son to get him and he did two mitzvahs and, and on the way down he died. That's one answer. Others say, He saw one of the ten martyrs. Who was the translator, who was the communicator. The rabbi would say and then he would, he would translate to the whole, whole congregation and he saw his tongue a pig was schlepping it. They cut out his tongue, and um, and uh, I think Chutzvus Amiturgman I think was one day less than 130 years old when he was martyred. He said, a mouth that spouted pearls of Torah, pearls of wisdom. That's his reward." His tongue is licking, licking the ground. Not for Chath. He said, I don't believe in this whole thing. I can't believe it. And Hashem can do this. It's all like Chutzpah Samaturgman. Such a holy, such a saint, such a giant in Torah. And his whole ma- all of his life, his mouth only spoke Torah and communicated words of Torah. Pearls and pearls of wisdom. And this is his reward that his tongue is cut out and a pig is schlepping his tongue on the ground. It was too much for him. He just couldn't take it. So... He says, what happened? Doesn't the Torah promise you reward? But if he would have interpreted, like his grandson, the Yaakov interpreted it, he would have understood that the reward the Torah is referring to is in the world to come. He, he has the contradiction. We learn now, If you do a mitzvah, then it will be good for you in this world. Also in, only if you do. If you do the mitzvah, then you get the reward. If you don't do the mitzvah, you don't get the reward. Minu, I'll ask you, you could do nothing, and it's the equivalent of doing a mitzvah. So, not if you do a mitzvah. If you don't do, if you don't do a sin, it's the equivalent of doing a mitzvah. So Malay, so Rav answered, over there, the Bryce is talking about the a thief who doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks that he's honest. That's not, that's not doing a mitzvah. A mitzvah means you're tempted. And you could do it. And you want to do it. And maybe you can get away with it. And you chose not to do it. Restraining yourself, holding yourself back, is in a way is much deeper. Character is not by what you do. His character is expressed by what you don't do and by what you don't say. The power of restraint, the power of silence, the power of holding yourself in, disciplining yourself, containing yourself, controlling yourself, that's much more deeper. That takes a lot more out of you than expressing yourself uh, by doing something. So you're right. In a case like that, that's the equivalent of a mitzvah. I've done a mitzvah. Nothing happened. Everything happened. Internally, you controlled yourself. You had a wrestling match. You had a big struggle. And for Hashem's sake, you did the right thing. But it says, Kiha. Like the, he's bringing examples. This, this noble, noble woman desired him. And she wants, she seduced him. 
So Amar Milsa Malinafsha Shikhna Vikivasarab. Khinahanina had powers, Kabbalistic powers. So he said he uses he uses Kabbalah powers and Malinafsha Shikhna Vikiva. And his whole body became filled with boils and wounds. And it was you know, and she took one look at him, she 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 lost her appetite. Of the Milsa So she also did something. She was also a powerful woman. She had the magic. So she used her magic, her black magic, and he was healed. She really wanted him. So he saw that, okay, so, so that's not the answer. So what did he do? He ran. He ran, and he hid. He hid Bebani, he hid in the, in the bathhouse, which there were a lot of uh, demons there. Usually if two people come together, the demons are afraid of you. They don't appear, and they don't appear during the day. Here, even if you came, uh, not alone, accompanied, during the day, they would still attack you. This was their home. This was their, 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 their nesting place. So everyone was afraid to go into. So he went in and nothing happened to him. The Machar, the next day, the rabbi said, Who watched you? Who protected you while you were there? You were in a place of danger. said, we continue in 48. Two of the guards, the royal guards, protected me. If you have such a, such a merit, if you have such a merit, maybe you have to have done something extraordinary to have such a merit. Maybe you attempted to act immoral and you overcame it. And that's why this miracle happened to you. Obviously, the, 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 these were two angels that protected him. So, like it says, Malach Vitzabalach. So he, he didn't want to say modesty. He said the two royal guards protected me. He meant royal guards. He was referring to angels that protected him. So he said, Tanina, we learn. If someone is tempted to act immorally and is able to overcome it, miracles happen to him. To be continued, everyone have a wonderful.